If every single person who has ever lived and whoever will live is truly honest with themselves, then every single person who would look back to that hill called Golgotha would understand that what happened there truly changed the outcome of history. It changed the outcome for man. It changed the outcome for Satan. It changed the outcome for the entire world and everyone in its existence. Because what happened on that hill gave this world hope. Without what took place on that dreadful hill called Golgotha, there would be no forgiveness. There would be no grace, no mercy, no peace, no joy, no love. There would be no salvation. There would certainly be no point to worship. There would be no point to faithful living. There would be no point to obedience. There would be no point to anything that you and I deem necessary and important to do in this life. And yet you and I know that in fact there is grace. We know that in fact there is forgiveness. There is that mercy, that love, that joy, that peace. There is salvation because of what happened on that middle cross there on that hill called Golgotha. What a truly beautiful picture that is for us as Christians. I know that when we study the crucifixion, oftentimes you and I as Christians, we focus on Jesus Christ. We focus on that cross on which He was laid. We focus on everything that He had to endure, on everything that was prophesied to happen, and rightfully so, because those are the most important things. Those are the fundamental facts about which Christianity has to do with you and I in order to get to heaven. And yet there is for us what I find to be interesting in Luke chapter 23, not only the mentioning of that middle cross, but how there are also two other crosses that are recorded for us within this particular passage. There was not one cross, but there were three crosses on that day on that hill called Golgotha. What is there for us to learn? What can we gain from looking at each three of these crosses, from looking at these three individuals and what they had to do with what was happening there on that specific day. You and I know that when we look at these two other individuals that were there on this particular hill, that they were considered to be criminals. Verse 33 of Luke chapter 23 tells us that. But what is there for us to learn? What can we gain when we look at each one of these crosses? I want to break down each of these crosses. I want to look at one specific thing from each of one, each one of them. Here's the first one. When we look at this first cross, I want you to think about this as a cross of rebellion. I want you to think about this as the cross of rebellion. You know, it seems to me as we are introduced to this particular scenario that at the beginning of all of this, both of these criminals were mistreating Jesus. Both of these criminals were treating Jesus in a way that He did not deserve. We know that He didn't deserve anything that He ever endured and went through. But you look back at Matthew chapter 27 in Matthew's account and his recording of what happened. And you remember there in verse 44, the Bible tells us that the robbers who crucified Him, talking about them in plurality, both of them reviled Him 
with the same thing. They both mistreated Jesus at the outset of this. And so as we look at these individuals, both of these men as criminals, both of these men as seen as individuals who were a menace to society, both of these men seen as individuals who were worthy and deserving only of a death reserved for the worst of people in that day, The crowds didn't seem bothered. It seemed appropriate to them. It seemed like something that should take place when it came to these two individuals. It seemed not out of the ordinary. They were individuals who had broken the law. They were people who did what they should not have done. They obviously were not sorry for what they had done, and thus they were receiving the consequences of their actions when it came to them hanging on these cruel crosses. And yet, as we think about these crosses, in the middle, in the midst of these two individuals, was that pure, that perfect, that innocent man hanging there on that cross. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 9, and then later it was also said again in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22 that he had done, talking about Jesus, he had done no violence, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Jesus was perfect. Jesus was innocent. Jesus had done nothing wrong. Jesus was not deserving of anything that He went through. And yet there He was hanging between both of those crosses. Here He is wrongly blasphemed. Wrongly beaten. Jesus was wrongly judged. Wrongly treated. And being led to that hill to die. And in the midst of all of this, this robber, this criminal, this bad individual who had done what he should not have done, this individual whose sins Jesus were currently bearing while He was there on that cross, was looking to Jesus and He was reviling Him. He was looking to Jesus and He was abusing Him. He was accusing Him. He was condemning Him and He was showing altogether an attitude of rebellion. I look As I look at this criminal, and as I think about the only words that are recorded coming out of his mouth, just these nine words that we read, I think about three different things. I want you to think about them with me. Number one, when you think about this cross of rebellion, I want you to think about his doubt. I want you to think about his doubt as it comes to him and his conversation with Jesus Christ here while they're both on the cross. What does he say to him? He says, Jesus, if you are the Christ. Oh, if Jesus. If, Jesus, you are who you say you are. Jesus, if you really have the power that you claim to have. Jesus, if you really are God, if you really are a part of the God, and if you really are His only begotten Son, like you've been claiming and saying this entire time, then do something about our situation. What a completely opposite reaction. To what we read in Matthew chapter 16, you remember what happened there when Peter was approached by Jesus and he asked him, he said, who do men say that I am? And Peter gave some answers, but then he said, who do you say that I am? And what did Peter say? He said, you are the Christ. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You see, Peter, without a shadow of a doubt in his mind, knew exactly who Jesus Christ was. He was willing to say it. He was willing to live it out. He was willing to die for it as we would later read within Scripture. And yet you and I flip that coin back over and we look back to this particular criminal. We look back to this individual who was only living his life for himself. Someone who lacked faith. Someone who lacked trust in Jesus. Someone who just simply didn't live his life according to the ways and according to the teachings of the Messiah. Someone who lacked any kind of belief and confidence in Christ and who He claimed to be. 
Mockingly saying, Jesus, if You really are who You say You are, then save Yourself and us. I can't help but wonder throughout this entire process, really I guess throughout Jesus' entire life, that if there were opportunities, as we know there were, for Jesus to show them who He truly was, for Jesus to put His power on display, for Jesus to put His power and to showcase it to every single person, surely they would believe if He showed them all of these things. I wonder if there were ever times where Jesus didn't do that and yet was tempted to show everybody just exactly who He was. I wonder if while He was being wrongly accused, wrongly beaten, wrongly scourged, or perhaps even while those nails were being driven into His wrists and into His ankles, all of these excruciatingly painful things that were happening to Him time and time and time again, I can't help but wonder if Jesus ever just wanted to just snap His fingers and to make it all disappear. To make it all go away for Jesus to, as we would sing, call those 10,000 angels to Him. And it's interesting, if you think about that, yes, Jesus could have called those angels, but in all reality, who created the angels in the first place? It was Jesus Christ Himself. Jesus didn't even need the angels. Jesus could have just simply thought the Word. And He could have escaped from everything that happened. Thus, doing away with all of the pain, all of the torture, all of the hurt and the mistreatment that He didn't deserve, but He didn't. I don't know how He would have done it if He were to do it. I don't know what it would have looked like if He were to do it. I know that it would have been simply magnificent if He were to do it. But you and I also know that that would have changed the course of history for us if Jesus had looked at this criminal who had great doubt in his mind and tried to show him, aside from what had happened, who he was. Because you see, this criminal had the teachings of Jesus, didn't he? He had seen the power of Jesus. Everybody had his fame, had spread all throughout the land. They knew exactly who he was. Why didn't this criminal believe? He had great doubt in his mind, and it's on full display, thus fueling his rebellious attitude. The second word I want you to think about as you look at this is this criminal's misunderstanding of who Jesus was. Not only does he doubt who Jesus is in the first place, but he also had a completely skewed view of Jesus and what His purpose was while He was here on this earth in the first place. Why was Jesus here? Why did Jesus come to this earth in the first place? We know Luke 19 and verse 10, He came to seek and to save the lost. We know Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, He came to serve and to give His life as a ransom for all. If this criminal had just simply listened to Jesus, if this criminal had just simply paid attention to the teachings of Jesus, if he had watched his life, if he had remembered the prophecies that had been stated, all of these prophecies that were currently being fulfilled, he would have known that this had to happen. He would have known that Jesus would have had to go to the cross. He would have known that Jesus would have had to die in order for there to be hope for him and for every single person in this earth, on this earth. He would have known that Jesus Christ would have had to come. He would have known that Jesus Christ would have had to go before Pilate. He would have known that Jesus Christ would have had to have been scourged. He would have known that Christ would have had to go to that hill called Golgotha to bear that burden and to be hung between two criminals. And yet, I can't help but think that perhaps the doubt that he had fueled his misunderstanding of Jesus 
uh, just exactly who Christ was and what his purpose was. The third thing I think about is I think about the fact that he was quite selfish. This criminal was extremely selfish when you think about what he said. As they're going to the cross, both criminals know that they're deserving of this. You read there in verse 41, the Bible tells us that the other criminal was speaking to the first criminal, and he says that we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. And we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. They understood that this punishment that they were having was perhaps quote-unquote just according to the Roman law. You see, what they had done tells us, this whole situation tells us a little bit about the severity of the things that they had committed. You see, if Romans, if the Roman people wanted to kill someone without making a fuss, there were plenty of other means that they could do that. But when you think about the idea of crucifixion, it was there because they wanted to make a scene. They wanted to humiliate. They wanted to take someone and to bring them as low as they could possibly go in order to make a spectacle of them. It was to embarrass and to humiliate. In fact, the quote says this, it was symbolic, talking about crucifixion. It was a symbolic statement stating that we are the Roman power and you, whoever you might be, we have brought you as low and as little as you could possibly ever go. And so in his statement to Jesus about him wanting to save not only him, but also them as the criminals, he was simply being selfish. Because he knew that he was deserving of what he was getting according to Roman law. He knew that what was happening was just, but he still wanted Jesus to save him. He still wanted Jesus to somehow work some kind of miraculous power to work something out of the ordinary and to say, save us. Save us. Take us off of this cross, Jesus Christ. You see, the cross of rebellion is one that is completely opposite of the second cross that we see. And that is this. I want you to think about the second cross being the cross of repentance. The cross of repentance. When I look at these two criminals, when I look at these two individuals who have both done wrong, two people who have both transgressed the law, two people who have both disobeyed what they should not have done, two individuals who both had made decisions that were they were surely regretting, at this moment in time, individuals who knew that they had, that because of their wrongdoings had landed them in a position where they are going to be brutally put to death. And one of them has an attitude of rebellion. Jesus, if you really are the Christ, if you really are God, if you really are the Messiah and the Savior, then do something to get all of us out of this terrible and this horrible situation. Help us. Save yourself. Save us. The mockery. The arrogance, the pride that exudes out of this individual. But then you look across the way and you see something completely different, don't you? You see this other criminal, a thief just like the other. A person who, according to Roman law, was deserving to be made a spectacle just like the other individual who was there. And yet his attitude towards Jesus Christ and his recognition of who he was, what he had done, or perhaps rather not done, it's quite remarkable, isn't it? Not only does he defend Jesus, but he rebukes this other criminal for the claims and for the things that he is stating. You know, I can't help but wonder as I was reading through this this week, and I suppose that perhaps maybe it's somewhat shameful if we are to think about it from this perspective. But I wonder, I wonder if this particular thief on the cross here if he did more in this situation 
in terms of defending Jesus and who Jesus was, if He did more concerning that than what maybe you and I would have done if we were hanging there on that cross. Perhaps maybe more similar to our situations in life. When it comes to opportunities that we have to defend Jesus, that we have to defend our faith and the things in which we believe, are you and I willing to stand up? Are we willing to defend Jesus Christ? You see, this other criminal here, he didn't care what was being said about him. He didn't care about the situation in which he was finding himself. He didn't care what was going to happen. He was going to defend Jesus and not only defend who he was, not only defend his innocence, but in the process he was going to rebuke the other criminal who was speaking ill of him. You see, he understood that they, as individuals, were deserving of their situation. He said, we're receiving the just reward for our deeds. We're getting what we deserve. These are the consequences for our actions. But you see, he looked at Jesus and what did he see? He saw innocence. He saw purity. He saw someone who had not done anything wrong. And he said, this man should not be hanging here with us. You know, I hope that whenever we find ourselves in situations to stand up for Jesus Christ, to defend our faith, that we take advantage of that. That we grow bold in our confidence to defend the things that we believe. And to, in a gracious and loving manner and way, rebuke those who speak evil of our Lord and Savior just like this particular thief on the cross did. There's a couple of things I want to observe as we look at this penitent thief. Here's number one. When you think about what this criminal recognized about Jesus, I think about the fact that he recognized Jesus. Again, completely opposite, isn't it? Completely opposite to the thief that we just talked about. He says, don't you even fear God. He understood God. He understood Jesus. He understood who He was and what He had done and how He was innocent, how He was pure, how He didn't deserve to be on that cross. He understood exactly who Jesus Christ was. It shows a completely opposite attitude, and yet it also shows an attitude of humbleness and an attitude of willing, of being willing to submit to Jesus. The second thing I think about is he recognized his own wrongdoing, didn't he? He recognized that he himself had done something wrong, and that was what landed him there in the first place. What does he say again? We indeed justly received the due reward of our deeds. He understand that he was being handed out consequences for his own actions. They were things that he deserved. He was reaping what he was sowing. He was ready to accept that, unlike the other criminal, and in fact, it's opposite to the position that Jesus was finding Himself in. The third thing I think about is the fact that He recognizes Jesus' innocence. He said, this man has done nothing wrong. You see, He knew Jesus hadn't done anything against the law. He knew Jesus Christ was perfect in nature. He knew that He wasn't deserving of being in the position that He was. And all of that leads to this fourth thing. It led to a recognition of His own faith. What does he say there at the end? He says, Lord, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Even while facing his own death. Even while facing these terrible, fateful circumstances that he didn't want to be facing, he was willing to showcase a heart of repentance. The cross of repentance. He knew he had done nothing wrong. He knew he was deserving of death. He knew that He was where He was supposed to be. 
And yet he turns to his Savior and he says, Lord, remember me when you go into your kingdom. Lord, I've done wrong. He says, Lord, I know that I've sinned. I know that I deserve to be here, but please remember me. Please remember me. I suppose his heart is something that you and I should all be willing to replicate. In fact, I hope in perhaps this particular way that you and I actually become more like this thief on the cross. Not only in our defense of Jesus, not only in our rebuke of those who are evil, but also in our hearts that they would be of a penitent nature. That they would be of a humble nature in understanding who Jesus was, understanding that He went to the cross for no cause but of ours, and how it is because of us that we sent Him there, and yet Jesus willingly went there to give us the hope that we can have for salvation. Realize the wrong, just like this particular thief, and do what you need to do to fix it in order to be in a right standing with Jesus. Here's your third cross. The cross of redemption. The cross of rebellion. The cross of repentance. But then also the cross of redemption. You know, throughout people, or excuse me, throughout time, people have always died. People die every single day. In fact, in 2018, there were some, some 2.8 million deaths that were registered in the United States alone. It happens all too often. Death is something that happens and that will happen to every single person save those who are alive when Jesus Christ comes back. But when we think about the fact that individuals who do die, they really die just like these two criminals, don't they? You and I are going to die just like these two criminals. And what I mean by that is this. You are either going to die with a rebellious heart or a penitent heart, aren't you? You see, that one criminal didn't realize what was right in front of him. Or at least he didn't want to realize what was right in front of him. He didn't realize that in front of him was the Son of Man, Jesus Christ Himself, the perfect sacrifice, willing to give His life for that individual, for Himself, so that He could have a hope of heaven. And he didn't want to recognize what Jesus was doing. He squandered that unique opportunity that He had right in front of Him. And He died in sin. But then on the other hand, you have the criminal who humbled himself, who realized what opportunity it was that was before him. He recognized Jesus and His power. He became penitent on this earth, and thus he died to sin. But then you have that third man. That third man on that third cross, the most important of the three, the cross of redemption. And how because of that third cross, because of Jesus Christ, it gave every single person hope. And thus, Jesus Christ on that third cross died for sin. Redemption. It's the idea of being saved. The idea of being redeemed despite the wrongdoings in our lives. You see, Jesus Christ was willing and ready to forgive both of these individuals. And yet, only one of them was willing to take advantage. Jesus Christ was willing to put His life out there on that cross for both of these individuals, willing to give each of them the exact same opportunity to give their lives to Him. And only one person took advantage. One person squandered the opportunity. One person said, today is not the day for me to submit to you. One person said, today is the day that I'm going to continue living for myself. You know, at the end of every sermon, we always offer the Lord's invitation. 
And every single opportunity that you have is an opportunity where you are faced with a decision just the same as these two criminals. Because as you sit here this morning, you understand that within your life, within your heart, there are either things that you need to fix or there are things that you don't. There are things that you need to fix in your lives and perhaps you understand these things are not right, these things are not in line with the Word of God, and thus you have a choice. Do I continue living for myself? Do I continue looking to Jesus and saying, I understand who you are, I know what you've done for me, but I'm not going to submit to you because I want to continue living my life the way that I want to live? Or are you here like the second criminal, someone who has a penitent heart, understanding that, yes, Jesus Christ came to this earth, yes, He died for me, and yes, He gave me the opportunity to live my life for Him and to have hope of salvation, and I want to take advantage of that. Maybe that's your case this morning and you want to give your life over to Jesus Christ. Maybe you haven't even taken that first step yet and you haven't been baptized into Christ. Know that we can do that this morning. We can baptize you into water, that water representing Jesus' blood, washing your sins away. And maybe you are here tonight or this morning and you want to make that decision. You want to give your life to Him. You want to submit yourself to Him. And you want Jesus to be able to say, I will see you with me in paradise one day. If you want that, know that you can have that this morning. Or maybe you're here, perhaps you are a Christian. But maybe your life is much more like that first criminal to where perhaps your life is not focused on Jesus. Maybe even though you've heard lesson after lesson about Jesus Christ and who He is, maybe you just don't want to recognize the fact that Jesus Christ died for you. Maybe you don't want to recognize the fact that you have to be willing to live your life for Him, but maybe you're here this morning you understand that your heart has been pricked and you want to give your life over to Him and you want to do so once again you want to repent of those things that you've done and you want to rededicate your life to Jesus Christ. Know that we can take care of that. You can come forward, repent of your sins. We'll pray for you. We'll do all that we can to help you and to encourage you. If you have a need this morning, won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Scattered Abroad Network. We are grateful for your continued support as well as your continued prayers. If you would like to find out more about our network, please visit our website at scatteredabroad.org. We look forward to studying with you again soon. May God bless you.